bring from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 31. But Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So, let, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street named Called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how much evil he has done in your, to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by pro proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. 
and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. All right, beautiful. Let me get, you need one with a camera? Better. Get this out of the way, just in case I get crazy. All right, good morning, people. Good morning. Thank you for coming. It's a very, very rainy day and a rainy weekend, and I'm sure when you're in bed, you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, I just want to stay here. Um, But Jesus got you out of bed this morning, and I thank him for that. The risen Jesus has raised you. That's what he does. Um, And so we're going to look at this passage in Acts chapter 9. Let me just say before I start, it's an intimidating passage for a preacher because it's such such an incredible story in and of itself. And so you feel like you don't want to stuff it. (laughs) You don't want to to get in the way of how cool it is. And so you're kind of dodging in any way. So anyway, we'll we'll trust the Lord with that. Let me pray. Father God, we we just thank you so much for this morning. We get a chance to read this incredible testimony of how this man Paul's life was changed and so we pray that it would not just remain a story that's from the past, but, um, Father, we pray that it's a story that lives in the future now, that our lives, we continue to be changed, that our lives, that people who don't know him would hear about him and have their lives changed as we uh, meditate on your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so your friend comes up to you, and uh, as soon as you see them, you know something has happened because uh, they have this, this joy about them, they have this uh, positivity, there's a bit of a spring in their step, and you think, they just seem, they, seem, they seem different. So you say to them, what happened to you? And they look at you and you say, I met someone. I met someone. Have you ever met someone? I don't, I'm not talking about a, a boy, like a boy or a girl, necessarily. It could be a friend. Uh, it could be like a, an inspiring work colleague. It could be a trainer. It could be some sort of teacher who, who's just off the charts, intelligent, and you think, man, that person just inspires me. That person has changed me. Who just through meeting that person and getting to know them, you've become a different person. Have you had that experience? Well, this morning we're reading through a story about a man whose life was changed through a radical encounter with someone, by, by meeting someone. Uh, 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 someone named Jesus who, did not, who, who does not just change the lives of, two th- of religious zealots who lived 2,000 years ago, but a living saviour now who has the capacity to change our lives today, everyone's life. And so this morning, if you're with us here or if you're on Zoom and you have not met him, um, then my prayer this week has, has just been that, that you would encounter, that you would meet Jesus and that you would be changed. 
The last term, if you haven't been with us, we've been looking at the book of Acts. Acts is the sequel to what is the, book, uh, the gospel of Luke. So Luke is the, the life story of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection. Acts picks it up 40 days after his resurrection. Uh, Jesus, with his disciples, he ascends up into heaven in front of their eyes. Um, but at, before he goes, he tells his followers, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And he's going to enable you to speak about me to everyone, to anyone you encounter. He, to speak about the fact that I rose from the dead. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit comes, remember in Acts chapter 2, he empowers them to speak and as a consequence, people start following King Jesus. And as they start following King Jesus, they congregate, you know, like come together in churches or communities of followers of Jesus to learn about Jesus, to love people like Jesus. And again, they start speaking about Jesus to others. And so there's this rolling movement. It's kind of like the epicenter of an earthquake and it just rolls out and out as people speak about Jesus. Um, but as the message goes out, opposition comes in, opposition to the message of Jesus. And so in chapters 3, 4 and 5, you have Jesus' followers beaten, imprisoned, and then told not to speak to anyone. And, it's, and it kind of comes to a climax, this opposition, in chapter 7. And we see Stephen gives this speech about Jesus and he's killed for speaking about Jesus. And so you think, you think that's going to extinguish the message, you know. No one wants to, wants to get killed for telling people about Jesus. But no, you keep going. A scattering occurs in chapter 8. The people are sent out from Jerusalem because of the persecution. But as they go out to Samaria and to, and to the ends of the earth, uh, so the gospel goes with them. And so we get these stories in chapter 8 of people hearing about Jesus as the witnesses go out. But then if we go back into Jerusalem, where the persecution originally started, we see that the persecution is continuing. You have a devout teacher named Saul, a religious teacher named Saul, he was the one who oversaw the execution of Stephen. So it said they laid his, their cloaks at the feet of Saul as they did the stoning. Now the reason you took off your cloak to stone someone was so you had a better, like you, you were able to more freely throw a stone. All right, so it's like, I think he's a bit like the emperor here. You know, the emperor in Star Wars, he's, he's kind of the mastermind behind it, but he's, he's not actually throwing any stones. He's just sitting there going, ha, 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 throw the stone, you know. Um, he sits on his, that, that's the picture of, of, of um, of Saul right here. At this point in the book of Acts, Saul is the greatest threat to the Christian church. That's, that's how he's shown to be here. And in chapter 9, and, and so what we see him doing is um, going like a religious policeman. Um, he goes house to house, ripping people out of their homes and imprisoning people who say that they follow Jesus. In chapter 9, we see a massive reversal happen. We see what is the, uh, the greatest threat to the church become the greatest asset. Today we're going to read the story of how Saul, this man Saul, and I'm going to sometimes say Paul because it's hard to keep saying Saul. I just even, I had to do a find and replace through my whole script to say all the places where I've written Paul, right, Saul, because I accidentally wrote it so many times. Um, so reading the, so Saul becomes Paul, if you didn't know that. Um, and, so, uh, and so what we're going to see here is this story of, of, of Saul meeting Jesus and it changed him, and as a consequence of changing him, it changed the world. Um, so what we're going to do, the way we're going to do it is we're going to do like a good reality television show. I'm going to give you the before shot and the after shot, all right? And then we're going to say what happened to him in the middle. So the before shot, verse 1 is up on the screen. Uh, it says, this is before, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, 
men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now Saul is like, he's like a bounty hunter, like, you know, like Dog the Bounty Hunter. He goes after people who are, you know, he goes out there and get... Saul wants to capture Christians in other cities and bring them back for trial. Now, it's easy to think here, this guy's out of control. He's gone rogue. He's like this religious terrorist, crazed. Um, but, but from Saul's perspective, he is doing the thing that is most honourable to his God. He is fighting for the true worship of Yahweh. And these Christians are distorting who Yahweh is and they're believing a heresy that this Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God's son. Now, he is the greatest... In, in, like, he thinks the Christian's the greatest threat, but the truth is Paul is the greatest threat to the church. He, he is, in some senses, pictured here as the most unlikely convert. That's the before. Now after, look what happens to him. Verse 19, chapter 9. For some days he, that Saul, was with the disciples at Jerusalem. So it's the disciples of Jesus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in, in the synagogues, saying, he's the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? All right. He, he was imprisoning people for speaking about Jesus. He, he's in the synagogues amongst the Jewish people, saying he is the son of God. He becomes the people he was trying to extinguish. And so the people are shocked, they're amazed. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now that word, that idea there of confounding the Jews, that's the same words that are used about Stephen in Acts chapter 7. What did Stephen do? He confounded the Jews with his wisdom about Jesus. And so the picture is here, Saul becomes Stephen. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Same reaction that Stephen got. They'd plotted to kill Stephen because for his witness for Jesus. Now what we find here with Saul is that Saul manages to escape. They put him through a hole in the wall uh, and he goes to Tarsus, which was his hometown in Arabia for some time preaching. After that, he, he makes his way back to Jerusalem and then after initial concern that from the Christians, uh, they accept he's a believer. So verse 28, it says... When he's back in Jerusalem, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. So you see the, the asymmetry here. You see over here, he enters house to house, dragging people off to prison. Here, he's going house to house, telling them about Jesus. Verse 29, and he spoke and disputed amongst, against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Stephen, who, do, who was he fighting against? The Hellenists. Who's Paul having to go at Paul now? So who was on the Hellenist side? Paul. Who's having to go at Paul here? The Hellenists. You see, Paul has become Stephen. Paul's become Stephen. This is, it's come full. By anyone's estimation, this is a radical transformation. It is not just getting a new girlfriend and becoming a vegan. <laughs> You know, that happens. Or, or it's not just about getting a new boyfriend and suddenly being into rugby league, all right, when you've had it your whole life. Um, Paul has been, or Saul has become what he hated most. What he hated most. And so it has to make you ask, doesn't it? Like, you had to. And the people did back then. They say, what happened to this guy? What 
turned this guy's life around so radically. And so three words we've got for you this morning, and that is quickly, easy, it's easy, it's Saul met Jesus. Saul met Jesus. So let's take a look, the middle part of chapter 9. Saul has got the letters to imprison the Christians in Damascus, verse 3. So he's on his way. Now he, and he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So light in the Old Testament, these manifestations of light are associated with the presence of God. Verse 4, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now, Saul knows in his mind who's he going to persecute. He's going to persecute the followers of Jesus. Yet he has this encounter with this light, this blinding light, and this blinding light claims that he is the one whom he is persecuting. Now, he, he says here, who are you, Lord? It, it, it's, it's not saying he knows at that stage it's the Lord Jesus. He's, it's just a, uh, an expression of, of um, humility before someone greater than him. He knew this light was in some sense some divine being, but we don't know what it was, but he knew it was greater than him. So verse 4, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. <laughs> Have you ever thought you were 100% right <laughs> and then been 100% wrong? Yeah, it can be a little thing, couldn't it? Like when you swear you put your keys on the hook and you find them in the door. All right, you go around the house, I've definitely put on, who's moved my keys? You start ripping into people, someone's moved my keys. And then they say, the kids find them and say, Dad, the keys are in the door. And you, oh man. <laughs> and so you can laugh at little things like that, can't you? Because it's like, yeah, 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 your kids, you know, it's not, it's not fun at the time having your kids laugh at you, but, you know, you can laugh afterwards. But what about when the most foundational truths on which you stake your life are found to be completely wrong. So I try to think of examples this week. I'll give you two examples I can think of. It's like when a wife finds out their husband actually has another wife. Imagine how soul-destroying that is. Imagine how it would turn your world completely upside down. It could be like a child who think. Yeah, sorry, you, you have a child with, a, with, a, with another spouse and you think the child is yours, but then you find out when they're 13 that the child is not yours. These are foundational truths on which you stake your whole existence and all of a sudden you find out it's 100% wrong. Saul thinks he's honouring God his whole life. He was, a, he was a very zealous religious man. Every detail of his life. He's not just a Sunday Christian, you know, a Sunday Jew. Or a, what do you call it? A Saturday Jew? A Friday Jew? I'm not sure. He's not just one of those. He is fed income every second about God. And so he thinks he is 100% doing what's honouring God. And Jesus says, no. In a moment, he finds out he's opposing God. But notice Jesus says, Saul, and this is important, you're persecuting him. We're persecuting. Now, who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting Christians. And so this is really helpful and instructive because it shows us this theme right through the book of Acts that this is not just the acts of the apostles, this is actually the acts of Jesus through the apostles. And so when Paul was going against God's church, he was going against Jesus. Paul thought he was 100% right, he was 100% wrong. Jesus keeps going, verse 6. He says, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you, to do, you are to do. 
The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now what's interesting here, as I've reflected this week, is that Saul's transformation isn't instant. Uh, Jesus could have done it that way. He could have just appeared to him on the Damascus Road and said, hey, I'm Jesus, here's the gospel, come preach. But he doesn't. He, he has this experience of, of blindness for three days and then he has to wait for someone to come and bring healing and speak about Jesus to him. And so why is that? You know, Jesus, in his miracles throughout his life, you know, some of those miracles where they're kind of like part miracle, like he has to wait a little bit, like the guy who he puts mud in his eyes and he says, look now, and he goes to look, and he says everyone's walking around looking like trees. Uh, and then, he, go, and then he, he, he heals him again, and then he can see clearly. So Jesus' kind of part miracles or delays are always intentional. So what's going on here? And so I spent some time reflecting on it this week. I chatted with other people to say, what is the significance? I actually think the significance to, to these details here. Firstly, he's made blind. Why? I think it is because Saul thought he could see. He thought he could see. He thought that Jesus and his followers were the greatest threat to the true worship of Yahweh. He thought he could see rightly, but the truth was he was blind. He's blind to what was true. And so God gave Saul a physical experience, real blindness, to give him a sense of his spiritual problem, that he had been blind. Secondly, I think it's also significant he's blind for three days. Uh, when you go back into the Old Testament, you read about Jonah who's called to preach. But first, what happens to him? Because he's rejected God, he's in the belly of a fish for three days. And later in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus talks about him being dead for three days. And so I think this, this idea of three days being blind is, 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 is so that Saul's experience of his blindness would in a sense be a physical, physical experience of entering into the death of Jesus, of kind of identifying with the death of Jesus, of, of, of kind of dying to life without Jesus to live a new life for him. So that's second. And then thirdly, what you see in this story is that someone speaks to him about Jesus, which I think is significant. Ananias, a follower of Jesus, he is told in a vision, so God come, Jesus comes and gives him a vision to go to the house of Saul, uh, sorry, to, to a house in Damascus that Saul is staying in. Uh, Ananias obviously expresses worry. He's saying, look, man, this bloke kills. He's not into Christians at all. I don't want to go to him. But God says, verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God says, The one who is causing suffering to the church now would be the one who would suffer for the church. The one who's causing suffering to the church would suffer for the church. Saul would be the one who would take the message to the Jews, beyond the Jews, to the Gentiles and to all humanity. So verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptised and taking food he was strengthened. See, Jesus could have just gone to the Damascus Road, met with Saul and said to him, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, you got it wrong, go out and speak about him. But what does he do? He blinds him. 
He, he, in a sense, humbles him. He shows him that the ways he was living were blind to the reality of who Jesus truly was. And then it's for three days, he says, and then as a consequence, he gives him this experience of entering into Jesus' death. And then Ananias comes to him, heals him, and speaks the words of Jesus to him. See, Saul is not just converted by the flash of a light. It's not just the light show that gets him there. It's the message of Jesus. It's the message about Jesus. Saul met Jesus and it changed his life. Saul met Jesus. He didn't just didn't become a vegan. <laughs> he didn't start taking up a new sport. His whole, the whole centre of who he was was completely reorientated in a completely new direction. What about you? I want to ask you, for those who have never... Have you met Jesus? See, maybe some of you today are thinking, oh, well, I don't need to. I'm not one of those crazy religious zealots like Paul who's trying to imprison Christians. I don't hate Christians. But the truth of the Bible is, although you might not have Saul's symptoms, the Bible says you have Saul's condition. You have spiritual blindness. All of us suffer from birth with spiritual blindness. We are unable to recognise who God is. Why? Because we're too busy. Although we are blind at the same time, it's like we're closing our eyes. We're closing our eyes to existence and saying, I'm God, I'm God, I'm, I can't see God. Where is he? I can't see him. I must be God. I must be God. That's what we do as human beings. We convince ourselves we don't need him because we can't see God. It must be me. I must be God. All of us need to have our eyes, our blind eyes opened that we might see Jesus see his death for us and accept his forgiveness. Everyone needs to meet Jesus. Now, does that mean we have to see Jesus like Paul did? Should we all be expecting to have the blinding light? You know, walking along botany and all of a sudden bright light and we're seeing Jesus. Should we all? No. Because we saw in the story, although Paul did have this unique experience and as you go through the rest of Acts, it doesn't happen again, it's just Paul, so... He can't be the norm. Although he had that at the beginning, ultimately Saul encountered Jesus like we all do through someone coming him, coming to him to bring the word about Jesus. Through Ananias coming him, the word of Jesus, that Jesus would open our blind eyes to know him, to trust him and be saved. So if you've not met Jesus, if you've not had your life changed by him, then you need to be introduced to him. God's son Jesus was sent into the world to die for your sin, to save you, proven by his resurrection from the dead. And right now, he is alive, he's reigning over the universe. And if you're blind today, if you have not accepted his, his gift, then Jesus wants to open your blind eyes. He wants to change your life. He wants to make you more than a vegan. He wants to make you born again, living for him, with new eternal life. If you've not met him today, and you're listening online, over Zoom, or you're here this morning, I pray you would accept that gift. Meeting Jesus changed Paul. Meeting Jesus can change you. But not only that, meeting Jesus changed the world. So Paul meeting Jesus changed the world. So verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it multiplied 
What's happened here? The greatest threat to the church has become the greatest asset. He has become God's instrument, it says earlier on, to bring the news about Jesus to the world. And so who's that? It's us. This is a seismic moment in your personal history. You weren't there to experience it, but it changed your life back then. Paul was called to bring the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. That's to you and me. And so if you claim to have met Jesus, then God wants you likewise to be a world changer. God wants you to speak about his son to others. God wants to enable you to speak about Jesus that people might meet him and and go from being blind to being able to see whether in persecution or notice here it was in peace. It talks about there, it says uh, that the church had peace. It's because Paul had become the greatest asset now, they had peace. But it's interesting here, sometimes you get in the book of Acts that it's the church, you know, um, explodes during persecution, but here it explodes during peace. It doesn't matter. God's gospel is going forward, whether it's peace or in persecution. The message about Jesus can transform the churches, transform people's lives, and it's not because we're wise or persuasive or we're good marketers. It's because the risen Jesus Jesus is with us. His message is unstoppable, as we've read right through the book of Acts. And so as messy as church life can be, you know, as messy as your personal lives might be right at the moment, as messy as, uh, as clumsy as our witness to Jesus might be, you just feel like you fumble your way through talking to people about Jesus or you fumble your way through life. The reality is if you've been saved for him, you're an instrument. You're an instrument in his hands, wherever he has placed you. Wherever he has placed you. But just before I got up there, I was, um, I've been thinking about how this lands, this passage, and I was just before I got up there, I was thinking, this one thought came in my head. I felt like God said to me this. He said, he said, he said to me this, Kurt, have you met someone else? <laughs> so if you're someone who's met Jesus, um, I think initially you have that feeling of, you know, like you've just met a girl and you want to become a vegan. That, you know, gets crazy. But after a while, you're really tempted with other relationships. And so my sense here is one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, yes, I met Jesus in the past and I, I was so on fire for him. I loved him. It was so exciting to him and it was showing the way I lived. But as I've gone along, maybe I've started, I've had an encounter with someone else and I've actually... Started, started making more of my life about them than about Jesus. So, I mean, it could be your work. I'm not talking about an actual person. It could be your work. That your work has become so important to you. That's the someone else that has shaped your life, that gives you the joy, that gives you fulfillment. It could be a person. It could be a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It could be a friend. It could be a trainer. It could be a guru on YouTube. I think that I, I want to change this moment. Have you met someone else? And if you have, confess it. Confess it. I mean, I think one of the reasons, uh, for me, I'll speak personally, we feel stale in our relationship with the Lord is, is, and we, we struggle to have that same joy is because we just don't spend time with him. Like I know, even with my relationship with Kel, like um, if I don't spend time with her, there's no joy. Like, I don't emanate joy from the relationship because we never enjoy each other. And so 
if we want to remain in that joy, we need to remain in that relationship and we need to turn away when we realise that our lives are being pulled astray to someone else. So this morning I want to finish with a confession. This confession is twofold. This confession for those who have not met Jesus before, it's an opportunity for you to say, sorry God, sorry I've rejected you. I want to accept your offer of forgiveness. But for us who, uh, who have met Jesus, I think we want to confess when, uh, that we've met someone else. If there's, people in the life, if there's something in our lives that has drawn us astray from it being our first love, that Jesus is not our first love anymore, we want to confess that as well. So why don't you join me? Father, your gospel is powerful. And so we're just in awe of what Jesus did. We're in awe of how you encountered the Apostle Paul on that road to Damascus and his life was changed. That Jesus came and met him. And we just praise you and thank you that for, the, uh, for the people here who have met Jesus. Our lives have been changed. But we want to confess, Lord, when our hearts have been led astray by things, by people, by jobs, by activities, recreation, rec- recreational pursuits that have become our first love before Jesus. They have become the things that give us most joy, have become the things that most fulfil us instead of Jesus. We want to confess that to you. We want to turn away. and We want to have, ask for your grace to have our souls refreshed, to remember again the joy of, of having met Jesus, of knowing Jesus. Father, for those here this morning who have not encountered him, those people on Zoom who are watching this morning, who at this stage have heard lots about Jesus but don't have a personal relationship with him, have not cried out, Jesus, I want to know you, have not cried out, sorry, I pray that right now in this moment that you would reveal them. Jesus. They would have a personal encounter with him and know him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.